I've had dreams that weren't just dreams. We accept the reality of the world with which we're presented. It's as simple as that. Billions of people just living out their lives. Oblivious. They taught you good. Made you believe their world. What is real? How do you define real? If you're talking about what you can feel, what you can smell, what you can taste and see, then real is simply electrical signals interpreted by your brain. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Paradigm. I'm your host, Paul Brackell. If you're a regular listener of the show, would you consider leaving me a five-star rating as it helps this show appear higher up in the listings when people are searching for something. So it helps with the algorithm. So whichever podcasting platform you're on, could you go on there and leave me a five-star rating? As I have noticed that the amount of people following me doesn't correspond to the actual reviews that have been left. So I'd greatly appreciate it if you'd do that for me. And also, can I ask if people would follow me on Twitter? My handle is paradigm underscore 79 as I'm trying to build up my Twitter account and you can connect with me on there. I post content on there, post um, different videos, I post articles and you can also obviously, like I said, connect with me on there and also on Instagram at paradigm1979. But... Today I wanted to give a shout out to Ethan Jackson. Ethan has took that extra step and he signed up to become a patron of the show where he'll give a regular amount every month and he'll help this show stay on air. And now Ethan has acquired voting rights to be able to vote on topics in future what he'd like to see on the show along with other members. And like I've said previously, there are costs incurred to running this podcast but it's greatly appreciated for anyone that signs up to become a patron and I have mentioned previously that I'm going to add extra tiers um, and I'm going to add things like member only episodes and also a monthly zoom call with myself so it'll be a live stream for members only and for anyone that does become a member what I would say is this that as a bible believing Christian I know that the Lord takes it what is done unto his people he takes it as done unto himself So Ethan has decided to support this show. Therefore, he's giving money to the kingdom of God. So anyone that supports the show, your money will be going to the kingdom of God because obviously I tell people about the Lord on this show. We do talk about a variety of topics. But one of the aims of the show is, is to tell people that the Bible is true, that Jesus Christ is the only saviour. And that the world is in darkness because the devil has veiled it in darkness. So I seek to talk about all kinds of topics, including the topics today that we've been lied to about. And we've been lied to about everything, including the cover-up of ancient giants. We've been lied to about where we've come from. We're told we've evolved from basically single cells of slime out of the slime pit. That's what we've been told. There's all kinds of lies been spread. And I'm hoping just to counter these lies. So if you want to help the show, you can sign up at patreon.com slash beyondtheparadigm. And that's where you can give a regular monthly donation. You'll help the show on the first tier that's on there. You'll acquire voting rights to vote on topics you'd like to hear on this show. But if you just want to make a one-off donation, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash beyondthep5. And as usual, I will drop all the links in the show notes. Well, today I'm joined with a special guest, 
John Hamer. John is an author, a researcher and a public speaker. He has wrote a number of books including Welcome to the Masquerade, The Falsification of Science and The Falsification of History, which is the book we're going to be talking about today. I think you'll find it a very interesting episode. What I would say is this, that some of the things discussed may come across as controversial to some people. Um, what I would say also is that I often say this, is that not necessarily everything that my guests say do I subscribe to. However, I am interviewing these people and I'm not debating with them. So you may hear things that you disagree with, but what I would say is that John has done the research the book we're talking about today is a large book. It's over 700 pages. I'm reading it myself and he's put the hours in. So without further ado, I'm going to go and bring John onto the show. Welcome to the show, John Hamer. Thank you. Nice to be here, Paul. Good of you to uh, invite me. Well, thank you for coming on. And like I've just been talking to off here, it's good to have a, a northerner on finally on this show. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we've got to stick together, haven't we? Yeah, we, we northern monkeys. Yeah. That's right. Well, so today we're going to be obviously talking about one of your books, Falsification of History. Um, oh. And I know you've wrote a number of books. You've wrote eight books, haven't you? But just yes. one of the, when I was reading your book, the first thing I noticed, it's probably not what anyone else has noticed, but as soon as I opened it up, I noticed that your book were published in Lancashire from my home county. That's right. So yeah. I, was, I had a little chuckle when I seen it. I was like, yeah. oh, Bake Up, Rosendale. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah. So that was the first thing I noticed. And I know you're a Yorkshireman, but... That's right. Uh, yeah. Well, that was that was um, my first two. I used Rosendale Publishing. And then since then, I've used ASIS. So I've been with ASIS, who are, who are getting very well with the lady there. And uh, I've used them for the last kind of 10 years or more, so... So just for the people who possibly don't know who you are, I know you've sold, yeah. especially like we've just been talking about this uh, first book you published, you've sold a lot of copies of that, but you've brought obviously yes. eight other books. But yes. could you just tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to mm. sort of start writing? Yeah. Um, yeah, I worked in all IT all my working life um, until I got made redundant in about 2001. And um, and then I started doing this full time because I, I actually woke up. I hate that phrase, but everybody knows what it means. Um, I actually woke up around uh, 1997. It was the death of Princess Diana that woke me up. And uh, I apologise to anyone out there who's heard me tell this sort of story before, but uh, here we go. Um, yeah, we had some friends, my wife and I, who uh, were in Paris that weekend. They'd gone for a, a weekend break. And they, that night, they'd been out for a meal, gone back to the hotel room, switched on the TV. They didn't speak a word French, but you know you know what it's like. And um, they saw clear images of Princess Diana walking into the ambulance. So they came back and they said to me, you're not going to believe this. And I said, go on. And so they told me, I said, you're right, I don't. <laughs> and she said, I swear to you, that is exactly what we saw. Because at that time, we'd been told that she she was carried into the ambulance unconscious and she never regained consciousness. So uh, I did some digging and it kind of went from there. And I went down rabbit hole after rabbit hole and I started writing articles based on my research uh, for various websites, lots and lots of different websites. Then somebody said, why don't you, why don't you write a book? You know, you're, you're, you're a good writer. 
write a book. So what I did was in my first book, The Falsification of History, I, I padded it out with a lot of articles that I'd already written and then wrote some more to go along with it, you know, to, to kind of fill it out, make it into a proper, decent-sized book. So that's how I began writing. And then it just kind of went from there, really. And I've been, ever since then, I've been a, uh, a writer, public speaker, a researcher, obviously, and uh, analyst of what, you know, all the stuff that's going on that we're not meant to know. So, yeah, it's been a, a long, a rocky road. And it's fair to say that in the last 26, 27 years, my, my life has turned completely on its head. You know, I'm a totally different person. I have a totally different family, totally different set of friends to what I had at the beginning. Uh, so, yeah, here I am, uh, more than two decades on and uh, much, much wiser, shall we say. Yeah. It's 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 hard. Like, well, it's it's not hard. It's it's impossible. Like, obviously, we use the phrase "we've woke up" or "been awakened," yeah. but you can't look at the world once you start going down these rabbit holes. You just can't look at the world in the same way. And exactly. And and I've been sort of experiencing this for over twenty years myself. Like right. I told you, I first first mm -hmm. begun when I was a Christian, and then because I yeah. used to look into sort of UFOs before that, and I still do. But you just find that it becomes more difficult to speak to people um, yeah. because because they're just totally unaware. Um, and right. I mean, ju just for you guys who don't know about John's first book, it's it's a large book. I mean, we're talking over 700 pages and he's got various topics in here that are really interesting. The Russian Revolution, uh, harp, the, the high frequency active aureal research program, the fake war on terrorism. He talks about all kinds of things, the banking system, everything, ancient bloodlines. I can highly recommend the book, guys, and we're going to be obviously looking at parts of it today. Um, and what I wanted to do, John, is just look at some of the quotes you've put in and sort of mm. discuss them because um, they sort of piqued me interest on certain topics when I, I read certain things. So one of, one of the things you say is, you say the huge difference in the first world as opposed to the rest of the world is that therein is an illusion of freedom and democracy. Groomed servants of the bankers are chosen to lead governments and corporation, uh, corporate organisations whilst unwitting dupes and shills perpetuate the illusion of a free democratic society. The masses, meanwhile, are deliberately kept in a deep coma through the education system and mass media and with engineered distractions such as um, the racism debate. I mean, you mentioned here the word illusion. Could you elaborate on what you mean by the illusion? Well, just, just remind me of the context of that again. It's a long time since I wrote this, Paul, gone. <laughs> yeah, so basically what you're talking about is 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 the first world and how oh, you know, right. we're under yeah. an illusion. Like, yeah. Because obviously... No, we're, we're, we would Sorry. look at, say, North Korea, for example, wouldn't we? We got ah, oh, the the brainwashed. Yes. Yeah. No. What? Yeah. Exactly that. What I meant by uh, illusion in that context was that um, you know we believe that we're free in the first world world because we, they tell us all the time, you know, you live in a free country. You know, oh, we're protecting our freedoms by sending our soldiers abroad to kill people in their own lands, and all that kind of stuff. So this is the what I meant by the illusion. We, you know, the most of the population who are not kind of privy to what's going on 
really in the world are under this kind of mass hypnosis that makes them believe that what they see and hear on the media is the absolute truth and the governments have only got our best interests at heart. Okay, they may do things that we don't like, but really this is a much better country than living somewhere like, I don't know, just pick any third world country at random. I don't want a single one out. But that's kind of what I meant by that, is that, you know, in the Western world, people are living in a kind of a, a hypnotic state, basically, you know, which is, as I said, propounded by the education system and the, and the mass media, which is yeah. what are yeah. the purposes of them are. You know, the education system, in my view, is just there to it's a it's a sausage machine to turn out corporate employees that's all it is they don't teach you about real stuff they teach you about you know unnecessary um stuff like you know unnecessary is a bad word they teach you about irrelevant stuff like algebra and trigonometry i mean yeah okay they have the places don't get me wrong but you don't need to teach every child that stuff that should be something that people specialize in when they go to higher education you know but to, to teach you know 11 12 13 14 year olds all that kind of stuff and that's just an example um in, in my view is wrong we you know we should be learning about how to be uh you know how, how for example, how to bring up children, how to look after your finances. That's what education should be about, as well as reading mm -hmm. and writing and obviously basic maths and all that. But, you know, it, it, we kind of propagandise into believing that, um, you know, the only way to move forward, and it's probably true, actually, is by getting a, what they refer to as a good education. And they mean by filling your heads with lots of facts that, that, you know, ninety-nine percent of them, which of which you'll never use. So yeah, this is, yeah. This is you know part of the control mechanism. Yeah, I've yeah. been telling my youngest boy, who's thirteen, I said, when you leave school, son, apart from sort of your reading and your your writing and your arithmetic, you need to yeah. unlearn everything Absolutely. that they've told you. Yeah, and it, it really is true, like you said. They just they're not they're not teaching us how to think they're teaching us what to think exactly and how to regurgitate facts that's what exams are all about it's who, who's got the best memory and how and who can regurgitate the facts in the way that they want them to be regurgitated i always say to people i, I hear people say things like oh i saw somebody on there i don't know pick a quiz show at random who wants to be a millionaire oh and he was really clever and i thought no, that's not intelligence. That is knowledge. There is a massive difference between intelligence and knowledge. But those boundaries, in my view, are, are totally blurred and blurred deliberately. They want you to think that, that being able to pass exams equates to intelligence. Well, it, it doesn't. It's just about learning and regurgitating knowledge. That's all. Intelligence, to me, is, a, is an ability to look at things rationally and logically and deduce and work things out. Now, obviously, some parts of further education that that is what you do. I'm not. I don't want to decry it totally, but I'm just. I'm just generalising here. So you know, there is a m massive mismatch in my head between knowledge and intelligence, and they de definitely deliberately blur the boundaries or even transpose them. You know, so 
Yeah, it's all done deliberately. You know, this is not an accident. Mm-hmm. These people are not stupid. They know exactly which levers to push and which which buttons, you know, levers to pull and which buttons to push on the human side because, you know, they employ armies of experts that do it, you know. So yeah. the, the only way that a, a few thousand people can control 8 billion, if there is 8 billion of us, and I, and I quite kind of doubt that a little bit, uh, is by controlling their psyches by controlling their minds and and you know we are under a form of mind control and it's and it's to me it's all about escaping that mind control and and being able to look at you know the truth of what is really going on yeah that, that's oh, the we're definitely yeah we're definitely mind controlled and mm. I, I i was talking to someone at work today and i said like i mentioned north korea to them and again and i said they probably realize you know that they don't live in a democratic society but we yeah. think we do so exactly. who's under the bigger delusion us or yeah. them yeah yeah many many years ago i spoke to a, a russian guy and he'd lived under the communist reg- regime and uh, he said to me he said you don't realize that you've been manipulated in this country he said in russia although we weren't free we knew we weren't free and we used to look look on these state news broadcasts as kind of a sick joke and just ignore them and get on with our lives and pretend it was, you know, it wasn't happening. He said, but we were aware that we were being propagandized and manipulated, whereas you guys over here, you're not. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, yeah, that just that opened my eyes, actually. And I thought, yeah, that's absolutely right. You, you wrote something else as well, which I thought was a great quote. And you've put, we have as our default a system whereby exploitation and corruption is the norm and not the exception. Whatever we may try to convince ourselves to the contrary. Mm. And, you know, I mean, just for the audience, like what are we talking when you, when you're talking about corruption is the norm, what are we talking? Are we talking from top to bottom? We're talking every sphere of society. Is that what you mean? Absolutely. Every sphere of society. It's, it, it, it's almost run on corruption. You know, we think that, uh, you know, we, again, it, it's kind of connected to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, Paul, but it, it is separate as well because uh, corruption is the way that society runs. I, I'm, I, met, I was, we were talking off air about my, my, uh, my best friend who, li- who actually lives n- near where you're from. And uh, I met him in York for lunch yesterday. And uh, well, our families met for lunch yesterday, and we were, we were talking about that very topic, surprisingly enough. And uh, yeah, we were just saying um, that um, every single organization has a thread of corruption running through it. And you know, it's the people who are in a power in a position of power that are able to manipulate things for their own ends and it goes on all, all the time you know a typical example of that is freemasonry i mean freemasonry per- permeates every single organization whether we like it or not you know not just corporates but you know governments police force the rest of it i think most people are aware of that but they're probably not aware of exactly to what extent and in some instances it, it's it's true to say that unless you're a, a Freemason and possibly a high-ranking Freemason, you just don't move forward in that organisation. So, you know, they, they say we've got democracy. Well, that just completely belies that fact, doesn't it? I mean, and, you know, if, if, you, if, if it's a case of who you know and not what you know, 
that gets you moving up the ladder, then that is not democracy, you know, in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. I it, think we've had you know, like say, Doris. Say, sorry? Sorry, go again, John. I was just going to say, I always say that democracy is great, isn't it? It's the best form of government that money can buy. And it's true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's Nadine Doris, I think, was, I seen a, a clip of a video on the, uh, that she did, and she was on the BBC. And, and she basically oh. said, if you think your vault matters, it doesn't matter at all. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. And, 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 Again, another know, little pet saying that I have is that I always say, you know, I always say, well, I never vote because it's pointless because the government always gets in, uh, you know. And, and it, again, it's it's a joke, but it's true. It's true. It doesn't matter who you vote for. They still follow the exact same policies or there might be one or two little tweaks of differences, but they all follow the same agenda. It's probably more accurate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, it's all a game. Everything's a game. Everything's theatre. You know, it's you know William Shakespeare was right when he said, "All the world's a stage, and we are merely players," and that's exactly what it is. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, oh, even to the point where they use crisis actors. Yeah. I mean, this situation in Gaza. I've seen one girl three times now being taken out of three different buildings by three <laughs> different men. And you're yeah. like, <laughs> happens all the time. Every single time there is a a world event that they want us to believe in, in or, you know, it's part of moving their agenda forward in some way or another, you know, using the Hegelian dialectic. Then you get these crisis actors. It was the same, you know, even going back to th events like the Boston bombing, you know, the Boston Marathon bombing and stuff like that. You know, there were loads of videos that showed these guys getting made up with the, the fake broken legs and all this kind of stuff, you know, where they hired paraplegic actors and strapped these, you know, shattered legs to them to make it look like they'd been injured in the blast. And that's just a couple of examples, you know. I mean, the, every single incident is like that. The Manchester bombing was the same. You know, it, it was it was a complete lie. Um, there's a great book by Richard D. Hall called The Manchester Bang, which <laughs> which sums it up. And, uh, you know, it wasn't a bomb. It was a bang. It was a loud bang, but there was no bomb. Everybody, nobody saw any of the uh, casualty area. You know, they were all shut away from it. And, you know, people, people say, you know, how can they do that? It's not possible. You couldn't keep it from people. But they do. They do through subtle manipulation and, and mind you know, mind-bending tricks, which is, is is exactly how they work. And it's just it's just so such a frequent occurrence, you know. Yeah. I mean you mentioned there mind-bending tricks and that sort of leads on to sort of the next sort of topic I wanna wanna touch on. Um yeah. and it's well it's it's the banking system. because um, <laughs> right. obviously you talk you talk about banking in your book. Yeah. Um you know, you talk about obviously the Bank of England and the Federal Reserve and everything like that. Um, yeah. So, as I understand it, the Federal Reserve it's it's not federal and it's got no reserves. Basically, right. it's a private yeah. bank, isn't it? Just like the Bank of England. Yeah, just like every every single central yeah. bank in the world. You know, those are the two obviously ones that most people are aware of. But every single central bank, apart from Three is a private institution which is owned by the Rothschilds. Mm. Every single one. People don't believe it, but it's absolutely true. It's so easy to prove. You know, it's not. It's not like I'm making this stuff up. 
for effect. <laughs> it yeah. is real. You're so right. I mean, uh, everybody believes that the Bank of England is, is controlled by the government. Absolutely not. It's the other way around, if anything. And the same with the Fed res in America. You know, the, that was that was formed in uh, 1913 uh, in order to fund the First World War. People say to me, how ridiculous. <laughs> I've never heard anything as crazy in my life, you know, but it's absolutely true. It doesn't take much scratching beneath the surface to find that. World War One was in the planning from about 1890, so about 25 years. And they couldn't get it started because they didn't have the funding because, you know, institutions like the Federal Reserve and the Bank of England create money out of thin air. They create it out of nothing. So they can use this funny money, this paper, non-existent, you know, money that's got no backing whatsoever because obviously all currencies used to be backed by precious metals at one time be it silver gold or whatever well that's not the case anymore you know if if the bank of england for example wants to uh sorry if the government needs to uh, pump more money into the economy it goes cap in hand to the bank of england and the mechanism is that the the book the government has to issue treasury bonds to the value of the currency that the Bank of England produces. Now, the treasury bonds are actually viable and have intrinsic value, whereas our notes that we use do not. So say they want to put a million pounds in, they issue a million pounds with the treasury bonds, which actually have that value of a million pounds, and yet the, the paper currency that they get back in place of it is totally valueless. There is nothing backing that. All they've done is set the printing presses going and it's cost them maybe 50 quid to produce a million pounds of the notes. And it's the same on the electronic side of things as well. They just use electronic accounting that create money out of thin air by typing digits into a computer screen. And before that, before computers, they used to do it by writing it into a ledger. There is no money. And this is why mortgages are totally fraudulent. I'm getting off the topic a bit, but you get the picture. Mortgages are totally fraudulent because they lend you money that doesn't even exist. And I know it's, that's kind of a difficult concept to get your head around when, you're not, when, when you've heard this for the first time. Um, but yeah, say you want to borrow £100,000 for a mortgage, just plucking a figure out the air. You go to the bank or the building society and, you know, after a bit of um, pretend digging around to make sure that you qualify, um, they lend you the uh, £100,000 by typing that number into your account. So, in effect, what they're doing is giving you permission to pretend that they've given you real money. And then what do they do if you've, you, you know, you have to pay extortionate interest and it is extortionate on, on, on any kind of mortgage or loan. And then what do they do if you renege on those payments? They come and take your house away, which does have an intrinsic value. So they can't lose. It's, um, yeah, it, I mean, the whole system is, is corrupt from top to bottom, massively corrupt. And I would urge anybody who's not into this kind of stuff or never come across this idea before to, to really seriously do some research on it. It's very, very eye-opening, you know? Yeah, yeah, because it's yeah, fractional it's reserve right. banking, isn't it? Where basically you put your money in, say you put a thousand pound in, yeah, uh, the bank goes and lends nine hundred pound out. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So your thousand yes. pounds not no longer there. So if there was a run on the bank where people are going 
to yeah. draw the money out, eventually it's going to run out, like we've seen at Northern exactly. Rock, for example, in was it 20, 2007? Yeah, yeah. People were yeah. queuing up and couldn't get the money out. Because exactly. I've just, my episode, that my latest episode that's going out today as we're recording this, I, I talk about the banking system on that because I've told people, get, I understand that people need to leave some money in the banks, like to pay the mortgage and things like that. But I've been saying to people, look, get your money out of the bank because it doesn't belong to you. No. And if you think it does, I mean, all they need to do is look at what happened in Cyprus where they were using bail-ins yeah. and people will lose. Yeah. Some people lost 100,000 in savings uh, and things right. like that. Yeah, I saw a brilliant cartoon that's just reminded me uh, at the time when it was all going on. And it was a, a guy stood in a, a bank, you know, at the counter and the bank, uh, the bank clerk was holding a gun at him like that, and he was handing all his money over to him. It's accurate, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, mean, what a lot of people don't realize. Sorry, Paul. Sorry to interrupt, but what a lot of people don't realize is that actually, when your money is in the bank, you don't own it anymore. Legally, they own it, so they can quite legitimately refuse to pay you, and they do. You know, um, a friend of mine, a couple of years ago, he wanted to draw £25,000 of his own money out of the bank. And he went in to draw it out, and they called the police. He had the devil's... He got it in the end, but he had the devil's own job. He had to he had to go through a police interview to find out what... I mean, it sounds fantastic, this, doesn't it? It sounds absolutely unbelievable that in this free country in which we live, you have to go through a process like that to take your own money out of the bank. Crazy. Yeah. I have to go to uh, the banking hub that we've got where we live because they've just opened a new banking hub mm. um, because all the banks are disappearing. This is one of the other things I was saying. We didn't have a single bank on the high street where I live now. Um, mm. They have one building society, but they've, they've made a post office banking hub. And right. I, I, I couldn't take any more than £250 out of my account out of a machine. So mm. on, on Tuesdays, they have... Um, my bank's the Nat West. They have someone yeah. there from the Nat West. So I went in and I said to the guy, look, I need to be taking more money out than £250. I'm having to go to multiple cash machines. And, he, mm. and it, So eventually he's, it, they've raised uh, what I can take out. But like you said, the point is it's not your money. They're limiting yeah, what not. you can take out. I mm. watched a video of a guy from the States and this guy must have been a multimillionaire and he, he put the bank to the test and he asked them, he wanted to draw out $500,000 and they said to him, oh, we're not going to be able to get that kind of money. This is a bank saying this to him. We're not going to yeah. be able to get that kind of money. So he said, right. He said, well, I want $300,000 then. So eventually they said, they agreed and they said, well, it's going to take us six weeks to get your money and then we <laughs> need to get like security and everything, the day you come in to collect it and all that. Yeah. So anyway, in the end, they couldn't he even get him the 300000 They could only get him $180,000 out of the original 500000 that he they wanted. Said. Yeah. They said they could get him 180000 <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the money the money doesn't belong. I, I, I mean, I've been saying, get your money out of the banks, get yourself Definitely. a safe. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And, uh, and yeah. get your money in there because... I mean, I'm not a financial advisor and I'm not giving people financial no, 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 advice. I'm just giving it as information. Yeah. Um, but one of the interesting things that I've heard you talk about previously is regarding the City of London. Right. And you said that the City of London is a sovereign state and it's not part of England. 
or it subject is. to the sovereign ruler of Great Britain, and it's yeah. not even part of the Commonwealth. No, that's right. Could you yeah. could you elaborate on that? Because I know there's going to be people who are like, "What?" Like I've said yeah. this to people in the past, and they're like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it sounds like it doesn't make sense, does it? But if you think of it as the um, the financial uh, part of the, there are three uh, city states, if you like. There's there's Washington D.C which is not a state of America, it's totally separate. And that is the, that is the military hub of the, of the powers that be, or the powers that shouldn't be, as I like to call them. There is the Vatican, which is, again, it's, just, it's totally separate to the rest of Italy, to the rest of Rome even. Um, and that is the religious hub. And then the, uh, the city of London, which is very similar to them, although they don't, they don't make this complex knowledge but it really is and it is the financial hub of the world um you know it, it's it's governed by something called the british crown empire and the british crown empire is not as you might expect the actual crown itself although it's you know the royalty although they are intrinsically interwoven in some way um it's it's a it's just an it's an ultra powerful entity if you like that just ruthlessly oversees the world and, uh, you know, so, it, it, for example, the, in the, the city of London has its own police force. It's totally separate to the Metropolitan Police, uh, which, and they, these people drive red police cars, would you believe? Not that there's anything significant in that, but that's just to, to try and emphasise the difference between them. Um, it's the headquarters of most banks in the world you know that it's got something like uh i forget the exact figures but it's literally hundreds of banks have their head offices in the city of london the square mile uh you know not just not just british banks but foreign banks as well especially american ones um where you did, you, you would imagine their headquarters would be on wall street but and some are to be fair but you know they still have lots in london and uh, you know there's lots of um anomalies shall we say they, they have a totally different set of laws they have a different mayor the lord mayor to whom formerly the queen but now the king has to bow when he goes into the city on on formal business uh, again people don't believe this but it's absolutely true it doesn't take much research to find this out um, and then the lord mayor of the city of london gives the king or the queen permission to enter his city his domain and uh you know, I, I just just one little interesting. Well, I think it's interesting, and <laughs> nobody else might, but I'll tell it anyway. Um, I worked in IT all my life, all my working life, as I said earlier, and uh, specifically in software, software sales, software consultancy, and I used to sell um, software and provide consultancy services for uh, not not PC software, but for um, big mainframe computer systems yeah so these systems used to be million pound plus systems and um we we managed to get this contract with the city of london corporation which is like the if you like the council you know the town council of the city of london and uh which, which by the way is 100 percent tax exempt <laughs> don't ask me why but it is and uh 
you know, which speaks volumes to me. But our software had uh, where, on the financial fields where you where you used to key in the different figures, depending on which bit of the software you're in. It was financial software, obviously. Our standard software contained eight digits. So, in other words, eight digits is up to 100 million, isn't it? Or just, you know, um, uh, one one pound less than 100 million. Right. They decided, yeah, they, they like the software, but they said, um, oh, yeah, but um, you think you'd be able to increase the size of the fields? And I said, well, it's a big job, thinking they just want to increase it by one. Uh, I said, it's a big job, but yeah, we could do it at a price, obviously. And I said, uh, so shall I, I, you know, make inquiries for you and see how much it would cost to to change it into nine digits? I said, oh, no, 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 we don't need nine digits. We need 14. I was just absolutely blown away. Wow. Can you imagine that? They dealt with sums with 14 digits in them. And I can't remember what that represents i think it's about 100 trillion dollars so they were talking about single transactions of a hundred trillion pounds I mean, just so people can understand how powerful we're talking here, the city of London, it houses the Rothschilds Control Bank of England, Lloyds of London, the London Stock Exchange, all British banks, the branch offices of 384 foreign banks, yep. 70 US banks, Fleet yep. Street newspapers and publishing monopolies, the headquarters for worldwide Freemasonry, the yeah. headquarters for the worldwide money cartel known as the Crown. Yeah. And the City of London is responsible for 3.8 trillion in Denly foreign exchange, which is more than one third of worldwide trades. It's actually more than New York, Singapore and Hong Kong combined. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, this, this is, and this, is totally outside of UK law. All this stuff. This this is a this is a a country in all in all but name that is a law unto itself. In other words, it's, it, I mean it's unbelievable when you actually do start to look into it. Obviously, there's a yeah. whole history behind it, and I do encourage people to look into the history of the city of London, not Absolutely. London, but the city of London. Because Absolutely. if any of you have ever been to London, uh, any guys from Canada, States, or wherever, when you go there, the majority of what you're walking around is actually Westminster. Yes. Um, but I want to shift the focus now, John, and obviously one of the big things that we've had recently because of the COVID situation, the the, the scandemic, is vaccines. Yes. This, this COVID vaccine and, you know, so right. it's become a particular sort of attention for people because obviously they rolled this vaccine out and, you know, most people obviously, you know, had it. And But the majority of people in this country and obviously around the world, they're, they're unaware about the reality of vaccines. And I just yes. want to read something again from your book, what you've written. Mm. 
um, right. which is sort of relevant to what we're going to talk about on vaccines. Right. Um, let me see. And you've wrote this, you've put all vaccines are biological weapons that weaken or destroy the human immune system. They usually fail to protect against diseases they are designed to prevent, and in, indeed, they often cause them. Yes. I mean, that's going to come as a shock to some people. Yeah, I mean, it's a very controversial thing. You know, if you say that on social media, you, you get banned. Um, and, you know, that, and that in itself begs the question, well, why would they do that? Why would they want to do that? You know, where's our free speech? Where's our right to say what we believe? I absolutely believe this because my research has pointed me in that direction. Um, you know, I believe that, uh, you know, COVID-19 was a complete scam from beginning to end. Um, it wasn't, uh, there was no, I don't believe that COVID-19 exists at all in any way, shape or form. And I present lots and lots of evidence for this, specifically in my book, Welcome to the Masquerade. Okay, the one that, the book, the, the book that you're, you read, uh, falsification of history does contain a lot of information about vaccines but if anybody's really interested in this particular topic then i would recommend welcome to the masquerade which i jointly wrote with an american lady by the name of shannon rowan um but yeah we present mountains upon mountains of evidence that vaccinations are not only useless but they are actually lethal um you know they, they're the cause of so many illnesses and syndromes, you know, uh, sudden infant death syndrome was the one that popped into my head, but that's just a, a, a tiny example. And as 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 it said in the quote that you read out, Paul, that um, you know they they actually create the dis diseases and, and prolong the diseases that they're meant to cure. Um, we know, for example, that uh, COVID nineteen vaccine is responsible for killing millions. You know, this is not my speculation. This is easy to find. Somebody sent me some government figures from the government website the other day, the other week, saying that this year there's been a million excess deaths, and especially in you know the uh, the 30 to 60 age bracket, the, the death rates for those particular brackets have gone through the roof, and those were the ones that. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, you don't usually get that volume of deaths in that age group is what I'm trying to say. Obviously, the older generation, they're the ones most prone to death. Yes, there is an increase in that, but it wasn't as significant as the increase in that particular, those particular age groups. And you're even getting things, you, you know, it's, it's all the normalising the fact now that children get heart attacks and cardiac arrest yeah. and yeah. blood clots. It's being normalised and people are just accepting it. I've heard people speaking in the street saying, oh, yes, you know, it's terrible, isn't it? You know, all these poor kids and these and these young athletes, you know, in the teens and 20s dying of, of heart attacks. You know, yeah, but it's just the way things are, isn't it? The systems have probably been weakened by COVID, I think, you know. And I just despair, you know, when I hear this stuff. But absolutely, vaccines are a weapon. Please, no one out there make any mistake about it. And I would strongly advise you to never, ever let your children or anyone else, your parents, have vaccines if you can talk them out of it because they are deadly. They're responsible for more deaths than anything else. Easy to yeah. prove. All the figures are in my book. All the sources and resources for imparting this information to you are in my book. 
it's not it's a serious serious topic uh, and and how do they combat this stuff they, they accuse people like me of being an anti-vaxxer which has got connotations of being an idiot okay mm-hmm. well i'm sorry but i'm not an idiot you might think i am but i'm certainly not and neither are the myriad of other people who propound this idea you know this is really serious and i would urge you to protect your families by refusing any and all vaccinations there is a there is a you may not be aware of it but there's something around called agenda 21 agenda 2030 it's kind of morphed into which is their plan for the year 2030 and that plan includes reducing the human population by massive amounts Again, this is not me just making this stuff up. It's quite easy to find. I would urge you do your own research. So, yeah, sorry, I got a bit emotive there, but... No, no, no. I mean, like you said, you quote... I mean, just for people who might be thinking, well, what do these two know? They're not doctors. I'm going to read a couple of quotes out of John's book by doctors that he's put in there. So this one's by a doctor, Guylaine Lantot. Lantot, Guylaine Lantot, yeah. Yeah. And they say this, the medical authorities keep lying. Vaccination has been a disaster on the immune system and it actually causes a lot of illnesses. We are actually changing our genetic code through vaccination. 100 years from now, we will know that the biggest crime against humanity was vaccines. I mean, that's a doctor saying that. And you've put another quote by another one, Dr. Vera Scheibner. You've put there's okay. no evidence whatsoever of the ability of vaccines to prevent any diseases. The contrary, there is a great wealth of evidence that they can cause serious side effects. And and just to sort of back that up, last year I went to the doctors in April um, because I found small lump on my neck and mm. it turned out to be nothing, thankfully. But anyway, I went to the doctors and the first question that I was asked was, when have you had your COVID-19 vaccination? And I said, I haven't had it. And her reply was, good. Right. That's the doctor that said that to me. I, right. And then she, towards the end of my examination, she asked me the reason why. And I explained to her that, well, due to my faith, because of the way it's tested on cell lines from aborted babies, I wouldn't have it for conscience reasons. I said, but secondly, I don't believe it's safe. She sat back on her chair. She looked up and she said to me, Yes, it's aging people very quickly. Wow, yeah. Yeah, she could say that to you in the privacy of her own office, but if she said that publicly or on a social media website, she'd be struck off the list. She'd be struck off the medical register. No questions asked, she'd just be struck off. You know, what does that tell us? They don't want people to know how deadly these bloody things are, and they are deadly. Well, I mean, one of the other things you mentioned about vaccines is that it's a cause of autism which i agree with it's the cause of autism it's the cause of in my view i mean you know according to my research and in my view there are no doubt people out there will argue with me but it's also the cause of things like alzheimer's uh you know it's it's kind of like what, what your doctor was referring to it's aging people premature and that's what Alzheimer's is in effect. It's a it's an ultra-aging disease whereby your brain deteriorates quickly. And you know, this is, you know, it causes sudden infant death syndrome. Um, 
Oh, they used to call they also call that shaken baby syndrome. Well, they found out a few years ago that lots and lots of people who've been convicted of shaking the babies to death, all they were guilty of was having the kids vaccinated. They found out that it was the vaccines that were doing it, but they didn't make it public knowledge. But in certain papers that were published that were kept very quiet, they actually uh, quietly removed that shaken baby syndrome from the uh, public domain and several people were afraid free from jail as a result of it. But again, you didn't hear about it on the mainstream. No, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, I mean, autism, like one of the things about that is I know the Amish community in America, they don't vaccinate and, and mm. apparently there's no recorded cases at all of autism amongst that community. And I would imagine there's no recorded cases of Alzheimer's either, unless, I mean, it's possible that Alzheimer's is also influenced by things like, um, you know, um, certain foodstuffs, but, you know, certain ingredients in foodstuffs, shall we say. Uh, but maybe the Amish community don't eat junk food. I'm sure they don't. You know, it'll all be homegrown stuff, wouldn't it? So, um, you know, I couldn't swear to it, but I would, I would dare to bet that they don't suffer from Alzheimer's either. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I was listening to a podcast just this week. It's it's a gentleman who I've actually had on my show, and I also listened to his podcast. And he was um, talking about he was well, he was giving frightening predictions. This is based on some medical. I can't I can't remember the the people who who he was quoting, but basically, I mean, he was reading statistics where they estimate. I mean, this is this is this is apocalyptic. This, yeah. but by twenty twenty five, the population of the UK could have been reduced by seventy four percent. Yeah, I mean, yeah. imagine that. That's next year. Yes. Yeah. I mean, in, because he was talking about also now um, something. Well, so it's like AIDS, but it's called VEDS. Vaccine acquired immune deficiency syndrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, the, and he was saying that this mRNA, mRNA technology, it can't be turned off. So, um, basically, if you've had one shot, well, that's that's it. Basically, it doesn't matter about the boosters and all this type of stuff. You've been injected yeah. with this mRNA technology, and it, it can't be just turned yeah. off. Yeah. It's absolutely. I've got a couple more quotes. Yeah, I mean, it's terrible. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you there. But I've got a couple more quotes, very short ones, uh, that are in the similar vein to the other ones that you read out. And I think it's worth reading them. And this one is by a guy by the name of J. Anthony Morris, who was chief vaccine control officer for the FDA, which is the American Food and Drugs Administration, which is responsible for, you know, any kind of drug or vaccination. uh, that was in the 1970s, and he was fired the very next day for making this public statement, and he simply said, there is a great deal of evidence to prove that vaccination of children does far more harm than good. That's all that he said, and he was sacked the next day. Uh, and then another one, uh, another doctor, James Shannon, of the Nas- National Institutes of Health, in 1967, said, the only safe vaccine is, is a vaccine that is never used. Mm-hmm. I mean, Edward Jenner, the the sort of guy who originally began sort of vaccinations, wasn't he a Freemason? He was a Freemason and he was a fraud. He wasn't even a doctor. 
he bought his doctorate from Oxford University. He never studied medicine in his life, and he made a lot of money out of promoting vaccines, which he knew. And again, this is covered in uh, my book, Welcome to the Masquerade. He knew that uh, vaccines did not work, and he just bent statistics to make them appear to work. And we've had this right through. People say to me, oh, come on, John. Well, you know, vaccines, they eradicated polio. No, they didn't. They just give us a set of figures that appear to prove that, that vaccines eradicated polio. What actually eradicated polio was banning the pesticide DDT, which was absolutely prevalent in the 1940s and 1950s. And as soon as DDT was banned, polio disappeared from the Western world. Now, DDT is not banned in, in certain Asian countries. And all those countries where DDT is not banned suffer polio outbreaks. It's not about, it's not about vaccinations. It's just absolute lies and propaganda, I'm afraid. Yeah, I mean, it's not coincidence, is it, when you, you know, if people, like you said, just go away and do a little research, they're going to start finding these mm -hmm. things out for themselves. Um, yeah. one of the, I mean, one of the big things, obviously, is the big C cancer, and obviously, you talk about that in your book. I mean, and and a couple of your quotes are, you know, everyone should know that a war on cancer is largely a fraud. That's Linus Pauling, who's the Nobel laureate That's at the right. time. Yeah, and. Uh, You've also quoted a cancer research worker, Geraldine Phillips, who says, I keep telling people to stop giving money to cancer research because yeah. no one is looking for a cure. We have several and they've been carefully hidden away from public view. This is a multi-billion dollar per year industry and a cure would put people, well, a lot of people out of work. Yes, absolutely. This, this is what it's all about. This is all the pharmaceutical industry is about. It's about making money. It's not about curing people. It's about managing symptoms so they keep coming back and buying the drugs over and over and over again. There are no drugs that prevent illness, only drugs that pretend to cure illness, and they don't do even do that. All they do is eradicate the systems. It's like symptoms. It's like um, if you you know drive a car, you get a red light on your dashboard, Great idea. Get some black um, sticky tape and stick it over the red line. And that is exactly, and you and pretend to yourself that you, you fix the problem because you can't see it anymore. And that is exactly what pharmaceutical drugs do. And that's what they're designed to do. They do not cure anything ever. No, and you talk about hidden cures as well. I mean, and I've heard that obviously there is cures or preventative measures that you can take, but they're just, they're just wiped away aren't they you know they're yeah. not they're not public knowledge no they, they cover them up i mean there's, there's famous cases uh you know one that springs to mind is royal raymond rife who invented the rife machine which um and the rife machine is still available actually because somebody back engineered it a few years ago from the plans which were still available but they destroyed all rife's work they burnt his laboratories down and he had a broken man and he was a very, very clever guy, and he invented a system of, of curing diseases, um, not viruses, because viruses don't exist. You know, viruses do not exist. You know, that's that's my opinion. I'm, I'm what's known as a, 
uh, a terrain theorist. I'm not a germ theorist because germ theory was invented, as most people know, by a guy named Louis Pasteur in the 18, late, eight, late 19th century. And he had a rival, uh, another Frenchman, called Antoine Béchamp. And Antoine Béchamp formulated something called terrain theory. Germ theory states that diseases are caused by bacteria. Okay. Now, Béchamp proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that diseases are not caused by bacteria at all. All bacteria are all bacteria are beneficial. They exist to help us. There are no, no such thing as bad bacteria. Right. This sounds very controversial, I know. Béchamp formulated a theory which I happen to subscribe to. I've been re researched it thoroughly over the years, called terrain theory. And he and he came up with the idea, which has been proven to be the case on many, many occasions, that diseases are not caused by bacteria, they're caused by the environment. And that can be poisons, in other words. It can Poisons can take many forms. They can take the form of chemicals. They can take the form of electromagnetic uh impulses you know dirty electricity for example if you walk under um you know uh, electricity pylons high, high voltage electricity pylons it, they're giving off electricity i mean there's much much more i could say about this but that's just a very brief snapshot and what happens is what people say to me okay then in that case john how come if you go to someone's house and you catch that illness from them because they're suffering from flu which, by the way, never existed until the 1860s with the pro proliferation of energy and electricity and electrical energy. Um, how come you catch uh, catch flu off someone? Well, you don't actually catch it off someone. You, if you go into their house and you uh, a couple of days later you come down with a flu and they'd had it, it's because they were in a poisoned environment of some kind. Our body, has, body is very sensitive and it will produce substances mainly phlegm and mucus which tries to neutralize the poison that our bodies have taken in either through our mouths through our nose or from wherever and this is this is what illness is nothing to do with bacteria now then they say to me okay then but what about if you're in your house and somebody comes to your house with the flu and then you a few days later you come down with it you weren't in a poisonous environment Aha, no, but there is something else which most people are familiar with in a different form, and it's called bioresonance. And this is the way that the human body is very clever. It reacts to other human bodies. Okay, so if it senses, if your body senses that um, someone else is fighting off a poison, which they may have picked up not in your house, but your body can sense that, so it protects you by doing exactly the same thing. Now, this is this can be seen in action. Uh, again, a lot of people may have come across this idea, whereby two women who live under the same roof, their menstrual cycle cycles synchronize. Have you have you come across that? I that is action, and this is how it works. Again, I would advise anybody to look up terrain theory because that. That is the real cause of disease. But they don't want us to know that because if that is the real cause of disease, then the pharmaceutical companies will go broke.
percent. I mean, I, t I told you fair, I'm a Christian, and one of the quotes from the Bible is, and it's always misquoted. People quote and say, "Money's the root of all evil." That's not the quote. The quote is, "Love of, the money, love of money." And yeah. and it is. If you look into this, it's always like you said, the money, but it's the love of it and what people will do to get more of it. Exactly. I mean. I'm just looking at some statistics regarding cancer because we've been talking about that. And and this just puts it into perspective and people need to question these stats as to why. So I'll read them out and then people sort of have a think like. So according to the NHS, one this is one now in every two people is going to get some form of cancer in their lifetime, right? Yeah. Global cancer cases in people under the age of 50 have risen by 79% between 1990 and 2019. 79% no. so, increase. So where are all these billions going that we give to cancer research every year? Yeah. Where are they going? They're going to somebody's back pocket. They're not. Mm. They're certainly not researching cancer. Well, the problem is they're, they're working on a, on a false premise, and that is that cancer exists as a discrete disease, and I don't think it does. I mean, I don't want to go into the technicalities of that, but... The way that they talk about cancer, uh, cancer is it comes in many, many, many different forms. There is no cure for cancer in that sense, but there are certain things that will will get rid of cancerous cells. Um, you know, one of them is vit vitamin B seventeen. You know, which again is a, is a very simple but effective cure. It's cured many, many people who've who've been diagnosed as being terminal. You know, when they when they've looked at the alternative. Uh, but if, if you mention that you're 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 a quack, you're a you know you're this, you're that, you're a charlatan, you know you're not medically qualified to make these statements. But you know, you know, people say, well, you're not a doctor. I say, no, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a weatherman either. But I only need to look out the window to see whether it's raining or not. You know, <clears throat> you don't need to be a trained doctor to to absorb facts, <laughs> which yeah. is which is all I do. You know. Well, it's, it's 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 sort of a logical fallacy. It's like mm. it's the appeal to authority, which was used obviously all throughout COVID, where yes. this, you know this guy's a scientist, is a professor, yeah, mm. but he's also a human being, and mm. he's subject to be able to be bribed, manipulated, and leaned upon. Exactly. So just because he's a professor doesn't mean he's telling the truth. You know what I mean? I mean, some of these statistics, I'm just looking at them while we're talking. They're shocking. I yeah. mean, this is Macmillan, right? They, they estimate currently in the UK, there's 3 million people living with cancer. And by 2030, that'll be 4 million. So in six years' time, an extra million people on top of that. Yeah. And, and I think it's worth uh, pointing out, Paul, that how many millions of pounds do these people generate for the fake oh, cancer industry? It's staggering. It's trillions. It's trillions. You know, I'm not just talking about British cancer. I'm talking about worldwide cancer. It is a multi-trillion-dollar industry. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, they feel, are... I feel sorry for the people who are obviously out there collecting because they're totally unaware. Of, of course. It. Yeah. Yeah. The um, genuine they're genuine people. Just... You know, rattling yeah. the tins in the street. They think they're doing a good thing. You know, uh, but. You know, then it's it's futile. It's pointless. They're never going to find a cancer cure. They're no interest in finding a cancer cure. You know, um, the only cures for cancer, if there ever is one, besides B seventeen, and there's one or two other things as well that you know they're easily to easy to find on the internet. The only way that, that 
They, but you see, they're not interested in cures like that because you can't make money out of those. No. You know, um, you know, they make money out of chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and and you know all the rest of the drugs that they use, and the the surgery and all the rest of it. You know, it's just a it's a multi multi billion trillion dollar scam. Oh, it's just yeah, it's a massive scam. I mean, and, and this leads really on to me sort of last sort of question. Really, you talk about um, psychiatry. Um, and and like basically how they, and I don't want to play this down because I know that there is people out there with genuine problems, genuine mental health problems. But of you, course, yeah, you basically yeah. talk about it, and like they basically invent mental health problems, don't they? They do. Yeah, I mean, the, apparently there there is a, a a conference every year where senior uh, senior medical people, senior psychiatric people sit around a table and dis- and decide on a, a new or several new diseases. You know, one of the ones that I think I quote in my book from memory, and it's a long time since I read it, um, mm-hmm. is mathematics disease. And this affects anybody who sometimes has problems with maths. And you just think to yourself, yeah, well, that encompasses just about the entire population. But obviously it gives them a big market for people to sell to, doesn't it? You know, the, the ADHD, ADD, you know, they, they, and again, I don't want to decry that to anybody who's got a child who suffers from that. And have you noticed how it's just children who suffer from that? Our, our generation, uh, you know, my generation and the younger generations, they never suffer from ADHD. It's a modern disease. Why is it a modern disease? It's because it was invented. And again, this is something I cover in massive detail in Welcome to the Masquerade. Um, it's, I'm not saying that these children aren't suffering, that they don't have problems, but they're being overdiagnosed, if you like. They're being, they're being uh, kind of manipulated into a, into a category, if you like. Whereas a lot of the time, these children, they're just children who uh, loners. You know, they're bored. They don't want to sit on a hard wooden chair at a hard wooden desk all day learning useless bloody facts so they rebel so they label them adhd and they pump them full of ritalin yeah. which yeah. is basically speed when i was at school i mean i'm in my 40s i'm you know so mm. when i was at school there wasn't anything such as adhd no. but if i would have been in school now I would have been diagnosed with ADHD because of I the would. way I was. I but, would. But the thing is, what what this is my take on it. Not everyone learns the same way. Exactly. And like we were talking about intelligence and knowledge is different, yeah. right? Yeah. So there's different sorts of intelligences. There's mm-hmm. emotional intelligences, you know, there's different types of intelligence. And yeah. and you can't put like you can't strap everyone down into a wooden seat, a wooden desk, and expect them to sit there. So if you're not that type of person who learns that way, you get labelled now as being having ADHD, when exactly. in reality, you're probably better off taking you outside and teaching you how to grow vegetables and, you know, work with your hands. Exactly. Rather than yeah. being sat at a desk learning algebra. Yeah, or to make things out of wood or metal or yeah. something practical, how to how to learn, you know, how to mend cars, you know, that'll soon be going out the window anyway, won't it, with electric cars, and that's another topic, but don't get into that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, again, the rates of ADHD are just going like that, through the roof. Yeah. You know, every year on year on year, they're going up by a massive percentage point. And it's an epidemic of testing 
It's not an epidemic of actual ADHD, just like COVID was. COVID was an epidemic of testing. The more people you've tested, the more positive results you could get. The fact that they were fake positives didn't matter. Uh, you know, the fact that you got the the, the results. Um, yeah, so it's... Well, it's the only sort of illness that was so serious that you needed a test to tell you you had it. Exactly. And they convinced people mm. that one of the symptoms was not having any symptoms. <laughs> yes, I know. And again, this some people may not be aware of this. Some people obviously will be. But the, the guy who invented the PCR test, which I, no, I noticed now has been quietly shelved. They don't use that anymore because word got around. But I knew from day one that the PCR test was not fit for purpose because the guy who invented it, Kerry Mullis, an American doctor, he said the PCR test is not to be used for diagnostic purposes. It's purely a research tool. And all it did was magnify uh, microscopic matter to a, a size where it could be studied and examined. It wasn't there to detect it. It was there to magnify it. And so all they did was they ramped up the magnification, claimed they detected the COVID virus, which, by the way, nobody has ever isolated. Well, they couldn't have because it didn't exist. And, uh, and said, yes, you tested positive. And then what they did was uh, anybody who died at all of anything, they tested them for COVID uh, post-mortem. And... If they were tested positive for post-mortem using the fake PCR test, they went down as a COVID death. Yeah. QED. Mm. Yeah. I've spoken to people who worked in care homes who, you know, someone had had a heart attack and they were putting down that they died of COVID. And one guy... Because they were getting paid was, for it. They were getting paid yeah. massively for, for, for writing COVID on the death certificate. Yeah. And this gentleman I spoke to, he was like trying to speak out against it and he was basically threatened with his job. Okay. I told him, you'll be sacked. In no uncertain terms, you will be sacked if you say anything. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just yeah. shocking. Yeah. And this is obviously one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on today, John, is obviously talk about these types of things. I mean, I have done mm -hmm. an episode previously on COVID and I'm hoping that people are beginning to wake up now. And I understand that yeah. some of, you know, maybe some of my listeners may have had like one jab and then, you know, looked into it a bit and not had a second one. But for yes. anyone who is thinking about getting a booster, do not get a booster. It's, it's a toxic cocktail that's going to be injected into your bloodstream. And it will alter your DNA. Yeah. There's no question about it. That's what it's designed to do. It will alter your DNA. Yeah. For the Absolutely. best, for the worst, by the way, not for the best. Yeah, it's not going to turn you into Superman, that's for sure. Um, so it's been a fascinating chat with you, John. Um, and just for... For me, for me, listeners, can you tell people where they can uh, get hold of you, get hold of your books and everything? Yeah. Uh, well, when you when you publish the the podcast, Paul, would you, you can you're very welcome to use my email address because I always say uh, this only really applies to UK listeners because it's it, the postage costs are prohibitive. But I I don't mind people emailing me and paying for my books direct and, you know, getting signed copies from me. Uh, but obviously if you're in the States or further afield or, you know, it, it, the, the shipping costs are prohibitive. So it's not 
honestly, it's not really worth it unless you're a millionaire and money is no object. Um, but yeah, anybody in the UK uh, who, who would like a signed copy of my book, by all means, email me and Paul will kindly leave that email address on his uh, on his podcast platform, I'm sure. And uh, other than that, uh, I know it's not the best, but Amazon, wherever you are in the world, if you just type my name into the search engine, all my books will come up and, you know, just buy them off Amazon. Uh, it's sad that we have to use them, but unfortunately they have 95% of the market. Uh, so, yeah, there you go. I, I have a website. I am trying to work on upgrading it so that, you know, you can actually purchase the books direct from my website, but it's not there yet. Uh, but there are, every podcast that I've done in the last two, three, four years is on there, and there are hundreds of them. So anybody who's interested in, you know, hearing me speak on other topics, then by all means go to my website. And again, uh, I'll let you have the uh, the URL for that, Paul, if you don't already have it, and you can put that up there as yeah. well. And I also have a bit shoot channel as well, which I'll, I'll let you have the, the details for that as well. Where, um, yeah, I do, I do do podcast myself with my with my friend pete who interviews me so yeah okay. the, the, those are really the main contacts well thank, oh. thanks john it's been it's been fascinating like i said i've been enjoying your book i'm thank gonna it, it's it's a book guys this this one that i'm reading in a minute you can sort of pick a chapter and read it you don't need to read it cover to cover no. i've started reading the first few chapters and then i selected topics that i wanted to talk to john about and then read them so you can do that with this book and like john said he's got other books so i'd encourage you to go on and have a look what other books and see which interests you and they're definitely a good read so thanks again john uh thank, thank you, you to everyone who comes back every week uh as of next week again i'll have another guest on so thanks for listening guys I'm Paul, this is Beyond the Paradigm. Am I crazy? We don't use that word in here. <laughs>